0: This is The Human Side of Healthcare, where we explore all aspects of today's ever-changing healthcare environment. Brought to you by the Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital Council and featuring CEO Stephen Love with co-host Thomas Miller. Now, let's make healthcare human again.
1: Welcome to The Human Side of Healthcare. We're delighted you're with us today. And today, we want to talk to our listeners about breakthrough viruses. I know many of you say, hey, I've been vaccinated. I don't have anything to worry about. Happy days are here again. But you can still get infected. Now, you may not be as sick, but the thing is 50% of Texans are not vaccinated. So even if you're vaccinated and get infected, you could spread that virus. We are so delighted that we've got someone on the show that Probably all our listeners know, Cynthia Isagere is with us today. As you know, she's an anchor at WFAA, and she is one of those individuals, fully vaccinated, that got a breakthrough virus. Cynthia, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, it's great to be here, Stephen Thomas. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm one of those rare breakthrough cases, and I really just can't believe it.
1: So for our listeners who may not know, can you kind of give a little background on where you think you were infected with this COVID-19 Delta variant?
2: Absolutely, Steve. So first of all, I was vaccinated. My husband and I were vaccinated in February, and that gave us a, a, a sense of freedom and relief, but we've still been extremely careful. Over the weekend of July the 24th, we had a wedding to attend. As you know, the we thought that we were nearing the end of the pandemic a couple of months ago and so we decided we were going to travel to this wedding to St. Louis, Missouri. After all, we're both vaccinated. This was the wedding happened 3 days before the CDC issued its new guidance that vaccinated people should wear masks in indoor public spaces. We go to the wedding, I wore my mask at the ceremony, but then you know, I let my guard down and I took it off at the reception, and I danced the night away, had a great time. Drove back from St. Louis. I did not go to work on Monday. Tuesday and Wednesday, I came to work. Felt fantastic. I felt fine. But at 10 o'clock Wednesday night, I got a headache. And never in my wildest dreams did I think it would be a COVID headache. I thought it was because of my molar. I was scheduled to have a molar removed on Thursday morning. That's been giving me headaches on and off. So I just thought the molar's bugging me. I can't wait to get it removed tomorrow morning. Came home, told my husband I had a big old headache, gave him a big hug and a kiss, and I went to sleep. Overnight I woke up, and the headache was still there, guys, and I had chills and body aches, and I thought, oh, my goodness. I don't know what this is. And I just prayed that it was uh, the flu or a cold, a bad cold. Woke up Thursday morning and the headache was still there and I had a fever of 101 degrees. So I called my dentist. He said, nope, we're going to have to reschedule you. I went back to sleep, slept all day, felt much better when I woke up Friday morning and drove myself to get tested, came home, and sure enough, I was positive with COVID.
1: You know, that's an amazing story, and I know you consulted your physician. Did he recommend you immediately isolate, even though you had been vaccinated?
2: Absolutely. He recommended that I isolate from my family and that my family go into quarantine. I called my job immediately after I got the phone call to let them know And I went into isolation for 10 days. Five days after the first symptoms, he tested all of us, and my husband and my three children all tested negative, and once again, I tested positive. So I, um, like I said, I stayed in quarantine for 10 days and went a little nuts. However, I got my closet completely redone and fixed up my bathroom and... (laughs) cleaned every piece of silver jewelry i have
1: (laughs) you know that's terrific you know you know you said something in your answer there that i think our listeners really need to pay attention to five days later you still tested positive and what that really indicates is what many of the infectious disease physicians say even though you weren't hospitalized thankfully and the vaccine kept you from being someone that was really sick with the virus, it still could have spread, especially to unvaccinated people. And that is a real, I would say, takeaway from your story on breakthrough virus. Would you agree?
2: Absolutely, Steve. And that would have broken my heart. Had I infected my children or my husband or one of my colleagues especially the ones, we ha- I have several colleagues who have babies at home. That right there is what kept me up at night in that quarantine period because I was so concerned that I would infect someone. And praise God, knock on wood, it just it, it didn't happen. It, I was the only one. And at work, I'm pretty socially distanced uh, from my colleagues. But I'm hugging and kissing all my kids. And on my husband, all the time, they did not catch it. And so my doctor says that he believes it's because of the vaccine.
1: You know, that's terrific. I'm so glad your family didn't catch it. And, you know, you indicated, as you were explaining to our listeners about when you were in St. Louis, that you did everything right. This was before the new guidance came out. And in defense of the CDC, it's not so much they had to change their guidance, this Delta variant made them change the guidance. So to our listeners out there, even if you're vaccinated, do you have thoughts or advice on whether they should wear a mask when they go out?
2: Well, I will tell you what I do. I wear a mask. I'm vaccinated and I wear a mask. My husband wears a mask and we make our children wear masks. Why? Why? I do it for the protection of my children, and I do it for the protection of my community. God forbid I am carrying this around and spreading it to someone who's immunocompromised. I would hate to do that to someone and their family. I interviewed a man last year during the pandemic who has been waiting for a kidney for two years, and I met with him to do the interview, met with him and his family, his wife and his two boys at a park, Outside, masked and socially distanced, to do the interview with him. And he said, Cynthia, I cannot catch this infection. It will kill me. And I just thought about the stress that that must have not just on this man, but on his young boys and on his wife. So anything that I can do to help alleviate that kind of stress on someone else, something like wearing a mask, of course I'm going to do it.
3: Cynthia Isagare from Channel 8 WFAA News. And as we go to break, just listen again to the emotion of how faith and medicine kept her, her co-workers, and her family safe.
2: Yeah, no one else got it, and I found it to be incredible, too, the power of prayer. So I just, um, I'm thankful to God. I'm grateful that this vaccine worked and I'm just going to continue to uh, be as careful as possible.
3: Back with more from Izzy from WFAA Channel 8 next on the human side of healthcare.
0: This is the human side of healthcare, where we feature healthcare's hottest topics and what our North Texas area hospitals are doing to make healthcare human again.
3: Welcome back. We're talking with Cynthia Isagere from Channel 8 News. You might know her as Izzy. She had a recent breakthrough case where she had been fully vaccinated and got COVID. We told her story in our first segment, which is also on our podcast, The Human Side of Healthcare, if you missed that. But we wanted to talk with her more because she's one of our family. I mean, we see her in our homes on a regular basis on Channel 8 News. So, Cynthia, your first symptom was a headache. What else happened after that?
2: That's a great question. So the symptoms were Wednesday overnight, I had that headache. I had the chills and the body aches. After sleeping all day the next day, Thursday, on Friday, I woke up and, oh, I also had a 101 degree fever. The fever broke after a day. On Friday, when I woke up, the chills and the body aches were gone. The headache persisted. And then over the weekend, as I felt a lot better, and I'll say that that the Thursday and Friday, it felt like I had a really bad cold, maybe like a mild flu. But then over the weekend, as I progressively got much better and was walking around in my room and feeling great and watching the Olympics, I lost my taste and smell. So that's one thing that hasn't come back yet, my smell, and then also my taste. Those two haven't come back, which really is a bummer, guys, because I like to smell flowers. I love to smell everything, and I love to taste my food. So that's been hard, and a friend, one of my best friends, really kind of scared me. She told me she caught COVID last December. She was not vaccinated, and guys, she lost her smell. She says she's only maybe got fifty percent of her smell back, and it's been eight months.
3: Yeah, we we've been hearing that that uh, sometimes doctors are even telling their patients that they may not ever get it back. So. You know, the point is, you don't want this virus. Would you say a big amen to that?
2: Amen. And I just pray I get my taste and smell back. It's been coming back a little bit. But my, and my hope is because I was vaccinated, it'll come back. We shall see.
3: Right, right. So it sounds like, and then I know there are a plethora of stories out there, but it sounds like in your case, the vaccine worked exactly as it should.
2: That's exactly what my, uh, what my doctor said. He said uh, the vaccine kept me from getting really sick and ending up in the hospital, and it didn't kill me. So it worked.
3: Well, we've had two stories now, Steve, in two consecutive weeks. One, somebody 93. Now today, somebody Maybe thirty nine. We <laughs> maybe switch those numbers somewhere in there. I'm Forty
2: six. I'm proud of it.
1: <laughs> and nice job. We're so far we're two for two. Absolutely, I think it's no question. And this is pretty much what the doctors are telling us in the hospitals. The majority of the patients we're treating, and I'm talking about in the ninety percent and higher uh, unvaccinated very seldom is a breakthrough case hospitalized and they give the vaccine the reason that the people don't have as severe an illness. Yeah, and Cynthia,
3: you could comment on this because what we've just been observing from purely some stories that we would take into consideration and then our circles, obviously this is spreading through them, but it seems like what's happening is Now, as you experienced at the wedding, if you're vaccinated, you still can get COVID. And that needs to be really clearly understood because I think you said it so well, you know, you went because, hey, we're vaccinated. I had a friend that just attended a big conference in Austin. Why? Because he was vaccinated. Well, you can still get COVID. And yet it's the unvaccinated people that are being affected the most. And that seems to be now pretty clearly across the board.
2: That's true. And, you know, my doctor. he echoed the same thing. He said, clearly, uh, even the vaccinated can, can catch uh, COVID. Uh, this Delta variant is highly contagious. So lesson learned for me, you know, uh, the, the mask, even though I've been vaccinated, and now, even though I've had COVID, both, the mask is... Uh, Is staying on me whenever I'm going to be in a public indoor space.
3: Well, I was going to ask you that, because right now the numbers are going up, up, and up. But at some point, they will peak, and then they'll start going down and down and down. And we'll take another big sigh of relief, and maybe then Delta will be on its way out. What will your game plan be when it's not so threatening again?
2: Well, just because of what happened to me, when it doesn't feel so threatening anymore... Uh, the first thing I'm going to do, I I always go to the scientists for these things, and I am very lucky. I am surrounded by experts just because of the nature of my job. So I'll go to the scientists. What do you think? Uh, I'll listen to the CDC. Should we wear uh, the masks anymore? So I always go by what the experts say. If they think it's safe, to let loose on the masks, then I'm going to do it. Listen, yeah, no one likes wearing the darn thing. It's uncomfortable. But again, if that's what the scientists are asking, that's what the healthcare heroes are asking that we do to protect ourselves and our communities, then I'm going to do it.
3: And then I know at Channel 8, my goodness, that's like such a lifetime career achievement, and it is like a great big family. How did Channel 8 treat you and support you through this?
2: Well, Channel 8, WFAA, has always treated me well and supported me any way they can. And so the minute I called my boss, uh, her immediate response was, are you okay? Uh, How is your family? What can we do? And uh, Leslie McArdle, thank you. You're you're awesome. And then spoke with Human Resources uh, to let them know what had happened so that they can do what they need to do on their end. And... um, I went immediately into quarantine and no problem that I have to miss work. Obviously, they don't want me there infecting them. So they were highly supportive as usual.
3: And we're a couple of weeks, well, three weeks or so down the road from that. Are you back to work? Everything back to normal now?
2: Yep. I went back to work this past Monday. Felt great. Wore my mask (laughs) and um, kept my distance from my colleagues. And we at WFAA are... We are taking a deep dive once again and making sure that uh, we're helping North Texans navigate through this pandemic. I had hoped that we were nearing the end. I feel like we've done it about face, but we're going to be here to uh, get everyone through it together.
3: Cynthia isaguerra from Channel 8 WFAA News. So grateful that you were with us to tell us that story. Steve, incredible.
1: Not only incredible, I hope our listeners really learned even though you're vaccinated, you can still get a breakthrough virus, as evidenced by what we've just heard. Being vaccinated can keep you out of the hospital. Let me explain to you why, Thomas. We've had a five-fold increase in 30 days in people that have been hospitalized in North Texas, and unfortunately, most of those people weren't vaccinated. Let me just give you one example One hospital I saw had 81 people hospitalized, 72 of those people were unvaccinated, 23 people were in the ICU unit with COVID, 23 people were unvaccinated, 11 of those people unfortunately were on ventilators, and all 11 were unvaccinated. You know, so the takeaway from this, it's obvious. People that have been vaccinated fare much better than people that have not been vaccinated.
3: Now, let's just take a trip up to 10,000 feet and get a bigger perspective of this whole situation. Because I want you to see that what we've been talking about here on this show and bringing these North Texas medical experts, the best of the breed that we can bring to the table, has proven out over time We're going to go back and pull a clip from an interview with Dr. Lee Hunter. Dr. Hunter is an amazingly well-trained infectious disease specialist and director of internal medicine residency at Methodist Health System. She's been in practice for over 30 years, and she has studied infectious diseases her whole career. So now, in light of what we just heard from Cynthia Isaguerra, here is what Dr. Hunter said on our show one month ago this weekend. 99%
4: of the people that have severe disease and are in the hospital and then uh, of the deaths also are unvaccinated people. And so I think that tells us our vaccines are very effective. And, you know, um, there is a small percentage of people that we're seeing that we call these breakthrough cases, but as you mentioned, they usually have mild disease. It is the rarest of rare occasion that they, they have anything more than that, and they usually do fine. And, you know, I think if you think about the original numbers that Pfizer and Moderna gave us were, you know, 94 to 95% effective at that time, well, that still leaves that 5% and the numbers that we're seeing with, you know, breakthrough cases is less than that if you look at total population. So I think it does make sense. It just shows that vaccines work and they keep you out of the hospital and they keep you from being severely ill. And if you're unvaccinated, you're really at risk right now with this Delta variant.
3: Dr. Lee Hunter. And our commitment is to continue to bring you the best information that we can so that you can make the best decisions for your health. When we come back, let's go down to Mansfield and talk about something that we probably don't think about that much. But boy, when it's a problem, it's a problem. Find out what it is next on the human side of Healthcare.
0: Welcome back to the Human Side of Healthcare, where we explore how to take better care of your health so you can live a happier, healthier life. With DFW Hospital Council CEO Stephen Love, along with Thomas Miller.
1: And welcome to the Human Side of Healthcare. We're delighted you're with us today. And today we want to talk about a topic related to gallbladder, gallbladder surgery, gallbladder treatment. We're delighted we've got Dr. Gary Alexander who's a board-certified general surgeon and a fellow in the American College of Surgeons. And he practices at Methodist Mansfield Medical Center. Dr. Alexander, welcome to the show. Good morning, and thank you for having me. You know, Dr. Alexander, I know our listeners out there probably know a little bit about a gallbladder, but let's start with the basics. Can you explain to them, one, what is the gallbladder, and what is its normal function in our bodies?
5: Well, our, our gallbladder is a small organ that sits on the right side of our bodies, uh, basically underneath the ribcage on the right side. It's physically attached to the liver and our bile ducts. And its function is basically to be part of the digestive system, and that means how our bodies take in food and turn it into energy. And specifically, the gallbladder takes bile that our liver produces and concentrates it and holds it for when we um, eat uh, foods that contain fat in it, because bile is what primarily breaks down the fats and helps us to absorb the calories from
1: the fatty portions of our diet. So let me ask you this. When I talk to some of my friends or colleagues and they say they have abdominal pain sometimes when they go to the ER, they find out they have Gallstones. Can you expand a little bit on what a gallstone is and how you treat it?
5: Absolutely. Gallstones are actually the most common thing that can go wrong with the gallbladder, and this is when we have a gallbladder that functions well. It's a wonderful system, and that's how we are able to digest a lot of the fats in our diet and uh, uh, turn them into useful energy. However, when things go wrong with the gallbladder, it can cause a lot of problems, just like it would in our in our cars or any other uh, piece of equipment that we have. Um, uh, typically, what happens when we get stones is that the bile that sits inside the gallbladder tends to concentrate and clump. Uh, and the best way to describe a stone, people have a lot of ideas about what kind of stones there are, and they think of hard stones, like kidney stones, where in fact, gallstones are more like little clumps of Crisco, little uh, or bits of shortening uh, that are soft, pliable stones that are, can't squeeze. But these stones, when they clump in the gallbladder, can get stuck in places within the gallbladder or within the bile ducts. And that causes a lot of the symptoms uh, that will take us to emergency rooms sometimes.
1: You know, when you have a gallstone and you have the abdominal pain, you can kind of connect the dots. Do gallstones cause pain in other parts of the body or primarily just the abdomen region?
5: Gallstones can cause pain in all sorts of places. Typically, the most common thing that we see uh, in in folks that are having symptoms from gallstones is it it hurts right where the gallbladder is, which is right underneath the ribs on the right side. But uh, the way that our our body senses pain, we can also feel uh, the after effects of that pain Sometimes right in the middle of our body, sometimes in the chest, we often have uh, patients that come see us thinking that they're having a heart attack and they're having severe chest pain. Um, and we all, often will also, uh, have patients that have pain in their back, primarily right between the shoulder blades and the back. But the gallbladder will present sometimes in pretty common routine, uh, right upper quadrant. We call it right up quadrant pain, or it'll present with pain all over. Um, and that's why we have to be pretty, um, aware that the gallbladder does sometimes uh, present in these unusual fashions. And, uh, we need to be, um, pretty cognizant of how it presents sometimes, and so it's important to uh, make sure that we don't have gallstones.
1: You know, Dr. Alexander, I'm an older guy, and I actually remember back many, many, many years ago when people had problems with gallstones and they needed surgery. They were actually an inpatient in a hospital for three or four days. If we fast forward to 2021, can you tell our listeners about gallbladder surgery today, is some of it robotic, and how long would they be hospitalized, or can it be done as an outpatient?
5: Absolutely. That that wasn't that long ago that uh, patients were in the hospital, for sometimes up to a week to two weeks after gallbladder surgery. Um, it It was very common, even during the early parts of my training, that gallbladder surgery would typically be an overnight stay in the hospital. But as we progressed with uh, the treatment of uh, gallbladder disease and gallbladder surgery, it's now basically an outpatient procedure, uh, which means you come in the morning of the procedure, the operation takes typically somewhere between half an hour and an hour. Uh, you're in the recovery area for a couple of hours, and you go home and you sleep in your own bed that day. And so when you plan this operation, it is a quick outpatient-type procedure. And even when you come into the hospital as an emergency, when you're uh, having an illness that's uh, making you quite sick, uh, even those hospitalizations are much shorter now typically, uh, 24 to 36 hours in the hospital compared to a week to two
1: weeks. And sometimes in your surgery, you do use a robot. Am I correct?
5: Yes, sir. Actually, here down in um, in Mansfield, we have one of the busiest robotic practices in North Texas. And uh, people have a lot of uh, ideas about what robotic surgery is. It's not a, a uh, machine that's uh, doing the whole operation. It's still the surgeons that are performing the procedure with the robot uh, here we use the Da Vinci robot. It is a uh, basically a tool. It's, it's just like another instrument uh, that we have. But what it allows us to do is instead of us, the surgeon standing right next to a uh, patient, we put the instruments in the body, and we are about maybe three to four feet away, and we have a, a, a computer assist us in our movements. And so what that allows us to do is to make very fine movements uh, within the body, which limits the amount of blood loss, limits the amount of trauma to the surrounding tissue, plus the, the visualization that we see. It's like being able to put our heads inside the human body, which we can't physically do, but the camera allows us to see very small blood vessels and nerves, uh, so it allows us to operate in very tiny spaces, uh, very delicately. And what this has done over the last 10 to 15 years is advanced gallbladder surgery to the point where we can do it through very small incisions and sometimes just through one incision. But more importantly, we have basically minimal blood loss. And uh, the recovery time after robotic surgery is we found to be significantly faster than the old big incision gallbladder surgery. But even from the other uh, simple laparoscopic surgery, we found that patients typically within three to four days are out of the house. Driving off of all pain medication and getting back to life a whole lot sooner.
1: You know, Dr. Alexander, if one of our listeners, let's say, came to you and you determined that they did, in fact, have uh, gallstones, is there intermediate treatment you can do without necessarily moving straight to surgery? Like, can you adjust your diet? Or are there other things you can do to mitigate the problem?
5: Absolutely. Uh, Anytime time a patient comes to see us and they have symptoms that might be from their gallbladder what we do is sit down and we talk about exactly what type of symptoms that the patient has and we always try to find a what we call a non-operative approach surgery shouldn't always be the first option even though it is oftentimes is a very definitive option and it takes care of the problem we try to figure out okay is it diet is it you know specific Situations: uh, How bad is the pain? Is it something that you can that, that's occasional, or is it something that happens every day? Uh, and we make a determination based on each individual patient to see what's the best option for them. But absolutely, uh, we always recommend dietary changes and lifestyle changes before we proceed to uh, an operation.
1: Let's pretend like I'm a patient of yours, and you have just gone through what you just explained. What would you tell me if I had had gallstones and under your treatment would be foods I probably should stay away from?
5: Well, if we think about what the gallbladder does, it it concentrates bile, which is what's used to break down the fats in our diet. So typically, the gallbladder will squeeze and push extra bile into our intestines through the bile ducts when our gut senses that we have fattier type foods in our stomach. And so typically, the foods that will trigger the gallbladder and trigger a lot of these symptoms are going to be foods that are a higher concentration of fat, so fattier foods, Uh, sometimes, uh, things such as dairy, um, ice cream, uh, is a very common food that that will trigger it, but also things like cheese and greasier type foods. And so we oftentimes uh, will see folks that, uh, who, whose diet consists of a, a lot of uh, fast food and greasy type foods. And it's pretty obvious that as soon as they eat some of these uh, types of foods within 30 minutes, they're hunched over in pain, feeling bloated, feeling nauseated, and that's pretty straightforward. Uh, and so we we say, well, If we want to give it a good shot to avoid surgery, you want to try to avoid those foods that trigger the gallbladder from uh, squeezing and uh, and trying to push these stones through the bile ducts. So those are the type of foods that we try to avoid are the uh, are the are the greasier, fatty foods. But the one thing I will I will say is that sometimes it doesn't matter. Uh, sometimes even uh, with a perfect diet, once you have symptoms that re- are, occur over and over again, oftentimes uh, the best solution is just to remove the gallbladder.
1: Right. So Thomas, I guess we better quit going to those greasy spoon restaurants, you know?
3: Well, Steve, I'm looking forward to the day when I feel comfortable going back. I order a lot of takeout, but yeah, actually it's a reminder because from a standpoint of convenience, I will admit that sometimes I will pull into the less healthy, more convenient option, and I'm going to keep this conversation in mind next time.
1: You know, that's excellent advice, Thomas, and we've had a lot of guests, Uh, on the show and they're from all different medical professions but one thing i've learned we should get exercise and we should eat
3: healthy and that's a perfect segue steve to what we're going to talk with dr alexander about next when we come back is how to do that from our gallbladders perspective find out how to stay off of dr alexander's operating table next when we come back on the human side of healthcare.
0: covering the healthcare topics that matter most to North Texas. This is The Human Side of Healthcare with DFW Hospital Council CEO, Stephen Love, along with Thomas Miller.
3: Welcome back to The Human Side of Healthcare. We're continuing our conversation with Dr. Gary Alexander, who is a surgeon at Methodist Mansfield Medical Center, talking about something that is not a problem until it's a problem, and then it's a big problem. So we're talking about gallstones. Obviously, we're talking about medical interventions, but also we're talking about some natural cures as well, including taking better care of ourselves. So, Dr. Alexander, let's start this segment by just reviewing then what happens. We have our pancreas and we have our gallbladder. If those two things don't function, then we have real problems, right? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, You know,
5: this is one of those things is we have one body uh, and uh, we need to take care of it. And so, uh, and our bodies are quite resilient. uh, But yes, if you, uh, if you take out the pancreas and you take out the, uh, the gallbladder as good functioning uh, organs, it can cause a lot of trouble with our digestive systems and a, a lot of misery. And so, uh, even the gallbladder itself, if you get a stone that's caught in the bile duct, it can back up the enzymes to come out of the pancreas. So The the pancreas not only produces insulin, but it also produces the digestive enzymes that break down the sugars and the proteins. And these stones can come sometimes block that duct as well and cause what we call pancreatitis. And that's one of the more severe things that happened uh, with gallstones. And so, yes, our diets and how we take care of our bodies make a huge difference in, in uh, how well we are, how long we live and uh, and how happy we are in life.
3: okay, so what if you remove the gallbladder? How does that function of breaking down those fats get done?
5: Well, the wonderful thing about the way that our bodies are designed is that the gallbladder is is essentially a uh, a backup system. Our liver actually produces the bile, and that bile flows through our bile ducts and into our intestines. And and what the gallbladder does is that it holds about half of the bile we make uh, at at any time. And so what happens is if we don't have the gallbladder, our liver continues to make bile and we continue to uh, digest fats fairly efficiently, not as efficiently as we we would if we had a functioning gallbladder. But the good thing is we're a carbohydrate and protein world now. We don't use fat as a primary uh, fuel source to burn. Uh, and so uh, we have a, quite a few folks that uh, have their gallbladder taken out in this country on a year-to-year basis, and uh, those folks do just fine and uh, don't miss their gallbladder.
3: Are there any ways, if you get those stones, are there any ways to dissolve them with natural treatments?
5: Well, this this is a good question. Uh, I have a lot of patients ask me, are there ways to dissolve gallstones? And um, historically, there have uh, been there are some uh, there are some um, herbal remedies that sometimes po- uh, patients will say helps. There are a couple of older medications that uh, uh, we sometimes will use in in patients that absolutely are just too sick to have um, an operation or to have the anesthesia for the operation, and these. Medications are designed to kind of make these stones softer and uh, easier to pass. Um, but the un- the unfortunate part about those medications are once you stop taking those medications, the stones just come back. And so a lot a lot of those medications are typically temporary. Uh, there are really no other good ways of uh, removing gallstones other than an operation, uh, which ultimately. Um, is is the reason we do a lot of these operations because the problem isn't just the one stone. We have a lot of stones uh, that will form in gallstones, and if you look at it from moment to moment, those those stones that you see on an ultrasound or a CAT scan are pro- on one day are probably not the same stones that you'll see even a week to two weeks later because those stones do tend to pass uh, through the bile ducts into our intestine and out of the stool, but the problem is that your gallbladder makes more stones, and so... It's solving this problem is to remove the gallbladder, so you don't make any more stones.
3: What's the difference between the pain you would get from gallstones and appendicitis?
5: Appendicitis typically is, will start somewhere around your belly button. The most common presentation of appendicitis is is all of a sudden you'll start to feel, hey, my, my my the middle of my stomach hurts, and then a few hours later, it's it's right on the lower part of the right side, and it's in a, it's in one spot. And so gallbladder disease will typically be under the ribs on that right side, whereas appendicitis will be a little bit lower down towards the pelvis. But uh, you are right that oftentimes it'll be right in the middle and you can't tell which one is which. And that's why if, if you're in doubt and you feel bad, don't try to tough it out at home. Go to an emergency room or call your doctor and um, make a game plan to go
1: uh, be assessed. Dr. Alexander, you've done a great job, and it's a question I always like to ask. As our listeners have heard uh, you explain about the gallbladder, is there any final message or question I should have asked you that I didn't that you would like to convey to the listeners?
5: Well, I, I, I always tell our patients, and I would love I would love for uh, your listeners to know, is that you want to know what the gallbladder is and what the symptoms are uh, because it's it's so hard these days because there's so much information. Uh, but we also have a lot of resources. Um, the gist of gall, uh, things that you want to know about the gallbladder is do I have a problem with my gallbladder? How do I know if I have a problem with my gallbladder? The primary symptom is gonna be pain. If you're having pain in the abdomen on the right side or in your chest or in your back, don't ignore that. Uh, Even if it's just uh, occasionally, if you have pain, talk with your doctor. And uh, if you find out that you have gallstones, if you go to the emergency room or you go to your doctor and you find out that you have gallstones, And you're having symptoms talk to your doctor about seeing a surgeon and sort of making a plan as to what to do it doesn't always mean you need to have surgery but you want to have a game plan as to how to address this if some of the bad things that come along with gallbladder disease and gallstones start to show themselves what you don't want to do is wake up at 2 a.m. on a Saturday night trying to figure out what you should do. You should have a game plan, and uh, a lot of the times the game plan is just removing the gallbladder on your own time. Uh, But sometimes you just want to know, okay, well, do I need to do something about uh, my gallstones? Uh, Talk with your doctor, talk with the surgeon, and and just know what your options are.
3: Dr. Gary Alexander, a board-certified general surgeon at Methodist Mansfield Medical Center. Thank you for those great tips on something that we really don't think about every day. Steve, there's another angle of this as we've got a couple of minutes left on the show called The Human Side of Healthcare that is worth noting about our healthcare workers.
1: You know, Thomas, you're so right. You know, I know uh, the people are tired of talking about COVID. They're tired of talking about, hey, you should wear a mask, you should get vaccinated. But let me, let me explain to you uh, what I sense from our hospital workforce Last year, people in the community were so terrific, supporting the healthcare heroes. You know, since then, thankfully, there's been a vaccine. I think many people, I won't say have let their guard down, but they've kind of said, hey, things are getting back to normal. They really aren't. If you're in our hospitals right now, we're opening COVID units. We've got more admissions. We've got the highest number. Of pediatric COVID patients in North Texas hospitals that we ever had. So I hope people will realize what a toll this is taking on our healthcare workers. You know, Thomas, these folks risk their lives every day.
3: Steve, you and I have both been around the healthcare business for a number of years, and I think we just don't realize under normal conditions, it's often a 12 hour day. And the phones are always ringing, and people are always pulling you this way and that way. And COVID has just added this whole new dynamic. So you're right. Hugs are free. Find a health care worker this week and share some love. They would really appreciate it.
1: You're so right, Thomas. And I think what is frustrating to many of them, and they're not being judgmental. If you come in the hospital, if you've been vaccinated you know, with a breakthrough that required you to be hospitalized, well, if you're unvaccinated, they're going to treat you the same. They're not going to pass judgment on you. But I think many feel so frustrated that many of the people we're currently treating, many there were putting in ICU, many there were putting on ventilators. It didn't have to happen because there is a vaccine. And again, we're not going to sit here and preach about vaccines. But if you have not been vaccinated, please consider doing it. Over 300 million injections of COVID-19 vaccine have been given in America. You know, folks, we keep talking about this, but it's because we care and we care about you. Thank you for listening. Join us next week on the human side of healthcare.